Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When did you know you wanted to, to teach the Bible? I was 18 and in the middle of college when I sensed a vocational call. And I would not have even known that that's what you called it. But I had somehow, just by the prompting of the Holy Spirit, because I, I wouldn't have had the uh, experience or the wherewithal to have known to do this, but I went to someone and told them what I had experienced, for lack of a better word, and she was able to say to me, I think that you have received a vocational call from God. And she, and she was right. I just wouldn't have been able to put that terminology with it. And she said, I want you to go tell your pastor that and then uh, follow his instructions in regard to what your church would have you do. And I walked the aisle just like I had when I was nine years old and uh, and made public that I had received Christ as Savior and wanted to follow through with baptism. So that, that would have been 18. But I had no idea. I sensed a very strong call but i would i had absolutely no clue what it was toward which has been mike extremely important to me and i'll tell you why uh, see you might have felt called to preach or someone will feel called to missions it might but i didn't have all i knew was that i was his that i i would work for him but i had no thought I mean, none. I was in school to become a lawyer. That's what I wanted to do, just like my grandfather had done. And uh, so all I needed to do was finish out my undergrad and go on and get my political science degree, um, English. I uh, got my teacher certificate, everything I could think of to do. But meanwhile, I was continually in situations where I was up front and would have been, in, in some respects, speaking. But I still hadn't really put it together yet. So, you know, I'm talking sorority chaplain in a Texas uh, university and then and then sorority president. I was constantly up front in this group or that. And then uh, in my 20s, I would say by the time I was in my mid-20s was uh, the first I would tell you that I was ever given an invitation to formally speak anywhere. And so I, I really began as what we would have called in, in the old days a Christian motivational speaker. You know, I could, I could be, you know, like fun. <laughs> and, uh, and and we really just made the best of it. But it was not until I was in my later 20s at 27 that I was asked to fill the post of a woman that needed to take a maternity break from her Sunday school teaching and needed somebody to fill in for her for a year. It wasn't until I did that that I realized that what I wanted to do more than anything in this world. And that was when I just took my very first Bible doctrine class so that I could learn how to teach that Sunday school class because I was terrible. I was fun and had a, a large class, but I, I certainly was not teaching the scriptures. I was thinking of what I wanted to talk about and trying to, you know, panic at on Saturday night and figure out what scripture I was going to use with it. I was just, it was a train wreck. There's a pine wobbler sitting on the hollow limb. He seems to have the whole morning out right in front of him. And everything he sings from the branch that he's sitting on, it seems to hush the leaves 
First he sings and then he goes And what it means is hard to know Christianity Today, you're listening to Cultivated, conversations about faith and work. I'm Mike Cosper, and on today's episode, my guest is Beth Moore. We talk about her origins as a Sunday school teacher, the way her ministry grew slowly but surely from out of her church and into a national audience, and about how her convictions led her in 2016 to stand up firmly to her own tribe. So stay with us. So, to, so unpack for me, you know, sort of big picture, how your ministry unfolded from, you know, that initial passion to, you know, I know you, you for many years, you were teaching Sunday mornings. 23 years of teaching Sunday school. And I'm going to say something about this because I still am such a believer in Sunday school. And this is not just from having an old school mentality, because there are many things I would not go back five minutes for. I mean, I, I I am very much a forward thinker in terms of what God is doing in the church. But what it did do for people like me, I have never, the only time I've ever been on staff at a church was as the aerobics teacher at my Christian Life Center at our large uh, Southern Baptist Church in Houston, Texas throughout my my 20s and, and up to my mid-30s. So that, that was it. Beyond that, I was a lay person. So I my opportunities to teach came through Sunday school. And to this day, Mike, these are great concerns for me, especially in regard to women, uh, and then especially in regard to more conservative uh, denominations and churches. Where do these women, where do women with teaching gifts get to exercise their gifts? But so for me, I was getting that practice. We we taught through books of the Bible um, in Sunday school uh, when I finally got on course and figured out how to you know how to even begin to teach a Sunday school class. We we taught through books of the Bible, so I had to teach whatever was next. So it was formulating in me that practice of there was no way to skip around it. You were going straight from, say, Hebrews 5 to 6, all the from Revelation, the gorgeous Revelation 5, then on to Revelation 6, that kind of thing where you had to. And so at this time that I was getting more and more excited about what God was was teaching me and how to articulate that. And so I began to teach a class, but secondary to Sunday school, a, a weekday class where I could go a little bit deeper with them. And they were the ones that first began to ask me to, to uh, write homework. And for me, that is really where I would tell you, if you asked me today, what I see as I look back over my shoulder, what is the primary thing that God has called me to? Uh, it would, that's, ex that's what it would be. It would be, um, uh, writing and it would be writing, uh, in particular curricula, Bible study curricula, but also books that just take people through the scriptures. And so that really began formulating. I, t I, wrote, first of all, I wrote cur curricula just for that Thursday morning class, because they wouldn't leave me alone. I, I told them I couldn't do it. I don't know how to. I don't know how to do that. Go, go take, 
something else, take a precept class, take um, BSF, do, do, but I can't, I can't do that. Well, they stayed after me until I tried it. And then that began to develop into that uh, teaching ministry. And it was not until several, I, I just taught, I just did it for them for several years. And then it was after that, that I connected with Lifeway and that part of my ministry began. Did you, you know, being in the Southern Baptist spaces you were in, did you face resistance early on to the fact that you felt this calling as a teacher? What word can I use to explain this? God so carefully navigated my path to make sure that I was in the right hands and in the right atmosphere along the way, that I would not be discouraged or talked out of it. God must have so strategically placed me because I have been told at least a thousand times that I could probably have only ever counted on the support that I got in a handful of churches that uh, that were in my denomination as far as the encouragement that I got. I've said so many times, listen, my pa- John Bazzano at First Baptist in Houston did not just okay my teaching and being out there. He pushed me out there. And if you were alive today, he would own up to that and laugh, throw his head back and laugh and laugh over it because he knows he did. I, I didn't I didn't realize that you know, there were things, of course, that I encountered. I certainly encountered sexism to to a certain degree and certainly encountered it when I would go out from that particular place to serve. But I was always, always um, a part of a a serving team in my churches. I, I can't say that I ever was uh, discouraged from doing what God had called me to do. So it was quite a shock when I got out there and realized that in the larger community, I, I, I wouldn't have had that same welcome. But my churches were always very, very welcoming. My pa- I always had a very good relationship, still to this day, I have a very good relationship with my pastors and and associate uh, ministers at my churches. So that, I-, I know now that it was remarkable and also very purposeful by God that he intended it, I believe intended it to be that way so that I would not be discouraged so early on that I that I quit. A significant figure in Beth's story is John Bazzano, the longtime pastor of First Baptist Church in Houston. In a denomination where women's roles are often strongly contested, especially around teaching the Bible, John recognized Beth's gifts and provided her with opportunities to use them. Somebody needs to hear this and be encouraged in this because I believe we have many, many pastors and teachers and leaders that are like this today. Uh, He had a, a gift for this. He just was not intimidated by leaders coming up in his congregation. He was your biggest 
cheerleader. I mean, he was like, how can I help you? How can I put you in a situation? Okay, okay, case in point, case in point. My very first class, my Sunday school class, my very the very first one I began teaching that I was substituting for another teacher and then and then uh, got my own class after that. Um, I was teaching a, what they call a graded class. And what I tell this, it's so much fun to hear from people in other traditions that go, I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Graded meant that it was like a 27 to 31 year old married women. So it was in a department of young married couples and this was this age married women well single women started also attending my class and so my director of my sunday school class was one that really loved to to follow the rules and he would say you can't have them in there you know you can't you can't have singles and because why well because it is a it's it's a married women's class you can't have anybody that's not 27 through 31 it's this kind of thing i mean it just was a stickler for detail well i got called in by my pastor by by brother john and he said well you've been told on and so and i could tell from the look on his face that it was about to be funny so i I was already smiling. I said, what now? Because, you know, I'm forever getting told on. And he said, well, you know, you're not following the rules. And I said, which which, which ones? And so he told me, and he said, Beth, he said, I'm, I'm going to set you free. He said, well, I'm, we are going to form our first ungraded ladies Sunday school class. But he said, I need you to move to this hour instead of that hour and this kind of thing. So he was the first one that, but it was that kind of thing. So if that makes sense to you, he would have done that. There's no telling. When we did his retirement, um, when we celebrated his 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 pastorate at First Baptist and had a big, huge, huge service to thank him. And oh my goodness, we'd worked on it for months. And I helped emcee it with another, uh, with a, a very good friend that was uh, active at our church. And he was one of the ministers. We had, at the end of the service, we had tracked down the name of every single person who had surrendered to some kind of vocational service or ministry under his pastoring. And Mike, there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. And we had we had put a, a, a candle under the seat of exactly how many had surrendered under his ministry in that sanctuary. And the lights went off at the end and those were lit. And it was like looking up at the, at the sky and seeing the stars. And what I'm saying by that is that's the difference when you have someone that is not threatened uh, by leaders coming up in their flock and not tr not trying to be the big, you know, uh, the big authoritarian, uh, uh, the you know, just the big kingpin of the church, but wants people to get out there and serve and to lead and to find their gifts and let and let us have room to make mistakes. I mean, I just I made so many. I still make so many, but my mistakes were always forgivable uh, where I was raised in in the churches where I've served. Always, always, it was never never fatal. I love that. And I think that's so, I think it's just one of those lost things that in the age of kind of um, big platform, celebrity pastoring, all of this, um, the expectation, especially for, for pastors is, you know, that you have to be the alpha, you have to be the name and the face that's the front of, of every organization. And when success, you know, happens with people under your, your ministry, it's so often it's viewed as competition. And exactly. Exactly. Board. It's just not how he saw it. And so he really instilled that legacy in many of us where it just does not 
occur to us to think of those that God is raising up in that younger generation as a threat to us or rivals to us, but as the goodness and grace of God and how can we cheer them on and how can we be of help and encourage them and make sure that they're well supplied with everything they need. And it's so much more fulfilling that way. So I, I really, I, I have in some, let me say this before we leave this topic, I am so thankful to be able to tell you, Mike, that church in, in all of those experiences and in those years that I that I would have been a member at um, and very active in a local body of believers, it really, I had have had such a good experience. It just was not where my harm took place. Would, would you believe in this is this is a tragedy and it's not that I was not loved under my own roof, I was. It's just that if that is mixed in with abuse and instability and uh, a lot of brokenness and um, darkness, then it's just, oh man, it just makes for such a difficult, difficult road, but it was my home that was not safe. It was not my church. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, that's profound. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you in part by Pittsburgh Theological Seminary. Pittsburgh Theological Seminary students are grounded in faith and formed in community. PTS students are preparing for ministry with Master of Divinity, Master of Arts, Doctor of Ministry, and Certificate Programs. Begin your Master's or Certificate Program in person or online. Financial aid is available. Visit pts.edu admit. This episode is brought to you in part by Asbury Theological Seminary, a multi-denominational evangelical seminary rooted in the Wesleyan tradition. Serving nearly 100 different denominations, Asbury Seminary prepares theologically educated, sanctified, spirit-filled men and women to evangelize and spread scriptural holiness throughout the world. Asbury Seminary is a spiritually vibrant, academically rigorous community with a residential campus in Central Kentucky, extension sites in Orlando, Tampa, Memphis, Tulsa, and Colorado Springs, and fully online programs. With over 1,800 students from 50 countries, Asbury Seminary is committed to embracing a church that encompasses all people, languages, and ethnicities. Learn more at asbury.to slash get started. Well, let's let's fast forward a, a bit here. You um, you started to find yourself in a bit of trouble around <laughs> yes. uh, 20, 2015, 2016. Yes, some, yes. some cultural things are going on when when you started to speak up. So, I mean, obviously, we're talking about not just Trump's nomination, but there was a mm. lot of culture stuff happening. Yes. Um, there's stuff happening with race. There's new issues emerging with, with abuse issues in the church. Um, and it just seemed like all of this stuff is, is kind of emerging at once. Yes, it is. Mm -hmm. And you, mm -hmm. you sort of went straight into the, 
you know, into the weeds in the conversation, did you think as you began to speak up and raise concerns that, that you were doing something that was radical or was going to get a lot of pushback? I would not have foreseen the level of pushback I got, but I'm also going to tell you my You'll, anybody will be able to understand this. It's just that it's not easy to articulate. Um, there are certain times when it it doesn't matter. It wouldn't have mattered. It wouldn't have mattered if I if it had been even worse than it was, and if I had foreseen it being that bad. If I had foreseen it being, I mean, the the loss of of say, for instance, had it been the end of my time with with Lifeway, had it been the end of a Bible, it was, there are things that are important to us enough that it, I, it just, I, I had no idea what the repercussions would be, but it just was like, there's no other, there's nothing else to be done. There, there are just times that you can't keep your mouth shut. And so it was, I, I don't know how to explain this, but when times like that come, I, I don't have any fear at all. It's like, come what may, this is, this is a deal breaker for me. It's a deal breaker. And it was one of those times. And I, 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 I know that this is going to immediately uh, bring conversation into the whole uh, Trump thing. But I, I want to try to redirect that a little bit because it, it did start for me when I first spoke up. And when I mean, when I came out of the fog and I'm telling you, it was like fog clearing. And I mean, when I say I was mad, I am not kidding. It was one of those things that was like, I cannot believe my ears and I cannot believe my eyes. And so I, I want to say this before somebody makes this all about Trump, because my interest all the way through has been the church. The, my calling is discipleship. The only reason it seems like when people say, well, you got political. Oh, no, 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 no. We, when it's, it's, I didn't get political. Politics came to church. It came to us. And so we responded. And I've said a million times, I expected uh, Donald Trump to be Donald Trump. That's, I, I expected it. I expected it. What I didn't expect was for us to be us. That's what blew my mind. And so it began with the Access Hollywood tapes, those, those recordings coming out. And I was so flabbergasted by the uh, either lack of response or shrugging off or or somehow just minimizing or excusing or rationalizing that whole thing and being almost messianic in the approach to a presidential candidate. I was so disturbed that, that we would take that view that it completely wrecked me. I mean, completely wrecked me. And it was uh, the best way I know to describe it is the sense of, 
I have played by your rules all this time. And I have believed that this was always about that the reason why there was so much sexism in the conservative evangelical church that is uh, my tradition, that the reason why it was so prevalent and the reason why I got, because by that time, of course, I was out there. I was far outside my church and serving. So I was encountering this kind of stuff all the time where I'd be in situations and, you know, I would not even be acknowledged uh, by uh, by some people. And, you know, where it was just because, because I was a woman teaching and that it would just be ridiculed or whatever. And so I'd run into it uh, over and over again. But I, I had given the benefit Benefit of the doubt that it was a all, that it was somehow about it all came down to First Timothy to First Corinthians fourteen. It was because th- because this scripture says this, and even though I, I still don't think it's right that 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 there's this kind of of uh, of response that it still is because they believe this to be biblical. And suddenly, I was like, oh my Lord in heaven. <laughs> This is not about scripture. This is about power. And it was like a house of cards fell. And do do not misunderstand me, Mike. I love the church. I am not talking about uh, there there's the church, there's the the gospel witness of the church and then there's what I'm talking about which is this uh this way of taking the doctrines of men and making them these primary issues that become the determining factor of whether or not someone is sound in their treatment of scripture. And these, these, I mean, these were like, and and I I just went for all of it. And I, 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 I taught it. I, I I went with it. I, I believed that this was what was behind it. And suddenly, I mean, it's that house of cards so crashed and and looking at it and of course there were so many exceptions to this i'm talking i I really need people to to understand that i'm speaking in very general terms here of what happened in 16 but but the the compromise of our gospel witness that we we left our prophetic role uh for a seat at the table and we 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 believed that that truly God being able to work through the church was going to be dependent upon us getting who we needed in the White House. And I'm not of course we have values and of course we want to vote according to our values. But this was much more than that. I think you saw it for yourself. This this wasn't a matter of just this wasn't just about values. This was about uh, about entrusting the future of the church to a seat of government to such a degree that we would compromise our values, values that we had sworn and declared um, in, in previous candidacies and, and presidencies that were the reverse uh, a party. And, and we stood firm there. And then all of a sudden it was completely turned upside down and we completely uh, turned on that uh, 
on that dime. And it was extremely disturbing to me. And with it, not only not only did we see what what for my lifetime, for my conscious lifetime, growing up and being able to really uh, have any concept whatsoever what was going on in in culture the burgeoning of of uh nationalism i i've i've never seen anything like it to me the ground we lost with i, I felt like we had been thrown back decades in the progress that had been made in uh in in minimizing sexism and progress that had been made in matters of of equality. Uh, And we, listen, we've never had the progress we needed, but I just felt like that in, in a couple of months time, this somehow this spirit of the, of the age this full on, I'm, I, I'm just going to attribute it to me, just a, a work of darkness, this seduction that overcame us, that uh, just burgeoned in racism and sexism and nationalism. Um, it was stunning. It was stunning. I could go back a hundred times out of a hundred and I, I can't, I don't know how I would have ever kept my mouth shut. Now I did, I got to tell you, because I had so many peers and friends that felt differently, I, I was tormented by whether or not I had lost my mind. I mean, would look in the mirror and ask, have you lost your ever-loving mind? Because these were people that had much better track records. I mean, I, I my background is a, it's a train wreck. And so it's like, you know, if anybody's crazy, you're crazy. And, but it was all, I still, there was no way I could be dead asleep and awake in the middle of the night. And I still could not shake the same feeling, which is we have completely compromised our gospel witness before the world because we did not trust God. And we honestly thought the future of the church was in the hands of the White House. And that, Mike, that is idolatrous. That is an abomination. I I don't know, or either I'm just, I'm nuts. And... I don't think you're nuts. I, you know what's interesting to me is you've you've you know you've kind of hinted at the suffering that you've endured, and you've you've talked about this a bit online. You know, as a kid, and and um, related to abuse and and whatnot. And um, I wonder if for you, the suffering you experienced gave you a sensitivity. The trauma you experienced gave you a sensitivity such that when these issues came to the surface, oh. There was no avoiding them. There was there was no looking the other way for them. Oh, one hundred percent. Because remember where this story began for me, where where my mouth opened and has probably you know has yet to shut was in sixteen over those tapes, and so of course that was directly related to the abuse of women. So you better believe it. I mean, there was no way. I'll never forget. Um, I, I, I want so much to be able to talk about this without 
throwing anybody under the bus and without, I, I, st- I want to speak with respect because I, I want to esteem the people that I've gotten to serve. But I can remember when a particular group, I was supposed to speak at a church and uh, in the coming months, and they were so, so upset with me for speaking out as I did and for what they said was putting that that uh, election at risk, that they would not, they did not want me to come speak unless I met with them in advance and and you know apologized for the offense and and I'll, I'll never forget saying to them because I was so flabbergasted that women would pull out of the Bible studies because I took up for women. It didn't, I thought, you you have known me for 20 years, many of you. You would have, I cannot fathom that you would not have expected me to come to bat for the protection of women and that our brothers in Christ would stand up for their sisters, that they would, they would be on the right side of that. And I couldn't fathom that, that they would imagine that I would do anything else. But I'll never forget what one group said. They said, well, we never, I said, well, but you know what was said. And they said, no, we don't because we never heard the transcript. And I, I was just stunned. I said, how could you not know? And they said, we don't want to know. This, this is only about issues. It's not about the character of the person. And I, I don't know, Mike, I can't, that's, it's hard to separate those two things. And I, I just don't want us to run out of time before I, I say something, because, you know, I, I, I know that there are going to be listeners that will object to what I'm about to say, but I'm just going to say that as far as I can tell it, and with orthodoxy as I know how to uh, determine it, I, I'm, I'm a biblical conservative. I never had a problem with 1 Timothy 2. What I have a problem with is only teaching 1 Timothy 2. There's a whole lot of Bible there. And what I, what I have asked and, and pled for is the grappling of all of it, of, uh, of Christ toward women, of Christ's likeness. And that to me was was enormous is that that there became in 2016 a differentiation between what was pro-christian in this nation and what was pro-christ-like and that that those two things it seemed to me became segmented uh from from one another our our calling is christ-likeness if it is not like christ it's not it's not the gospel our trust over and over again for any of us who read the whole council. And I'm talking about careful readers. I'm talking about any of us who spend years, years of our, our lives reading the Bible in its entirety from beginning you know, to end year after year after year. Uh, the, the most, one of the most important loyalties to God is that of no other gods that their idolatry we we don't realize we put so many other things before it and we do not realize the offense that is to god it I, biblically speaking 
Genesis to Revelation, it is almost without parallel. I would say in the things that God seems to find offensive, that we would trust any human being or any institution to save or sustain us. I mean, that's dangerous territory. Are there signs in the midst of this? Are there are there things you can look at as signs of hope and, and things that, that make you optimistic about where things might go in the future? Man, I think we've got we've got fabulous things coming, but it is going to be so messy. And we've got to be willing, you know, we're just not going to be able to always sort out the wheat from the tares. It's going to be so mixed up in there together. We're not always going to know what's what's the Holy Spirit and what's not. But yeah, I do. I do believe that we are about to see a mighty work of the Spirit. I think we're already seeing it. I even think in this crisis we've been in, Mike, that we're seeing it, that we're having to face these questions, that we're having to deal with the repercussions of systemic racism that we're having to. I mean, we can't cannot avoid it. We cannot avoid it. Uh, this in its own way is a mercy of God because he is not going to let us around it. Well, thank you so much for your time. I, I feel like we could have gone a lot longer, but I want to respect your time and I'm so thankful for you. Well, I think so too, Mike. I just want to say I appreciate you so much. That's really kind. Thank you for saying that. Now first he sings and then he goes. And what it means, it's hard to know. Cultivated is a production of Christianity Today. If you like the show, leave us a rating and review wherever you're listening. It helps other people find the show. This episode was produced and edited by me. Our music is by Dan Phelps. Our theme song is by Roman Candle. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. Every day, CT testifies to the reality that Jesus is alive, transforming his world and bringing his kingdom to bear. Jesus transforms, CT equips. Make a gift to our nonprofit ministry with a gift of $20 to provide 150 more people with redemptive storytelling, global perspective, and thoughtful podcasts. Give now at morect.com equip.